Welcome to the Steve Has a Chat podcast, where I call someone out of the blue with the record button on and hope to have an unscripted conversation about Microsoft business applications. Let's see how it goes. Enjoy. Thank you for calling Microsoft. How can I direct your call? Steve Mordew for Hayden Stafford. Business application sales. How can I assist you today? Steve Mordew for Hayden Stafford. Let me check if he is in. Is he expecting your call? Yeah, I'm Mr. Nadella's assistant. He'd like Hayden to take his place in a golf game with some enterprise customers. I see. So Mr. Nadella would like Mr. Stafford to play golf instead? Seems Mr. Nadella forgot that he doesn't play golf. I'm not sure if Hayden plays golf either. Of course he does. All tall people play golf. Okay, let me try and connect you. Thanks. Hello, this is Hayden. Hayden, Steve Mordew. How's it going? Oh, hey, Steve. I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. You know, I do this uh, podcast where I just uh, reach out to folks at Microsoft about uh, business applications and, and talk about things. Would you be interested in doing that with me? <laughs> I, I've heard you do that a few times in the past. I with so people you know like coming, don't whatnot, you? so I think I, I think I'm already on the line. So why don't we do it? <laughs> you are. I already hit the record button. <laughs> okay, busted. <laughs> busted. So uh, lots of folks in the channel already, you know, kind of know you because they've seen you around. Not not quite as visible as some of the the uh, product people that are down with the partners talking and doing presentations, but. You're certainly a, a guy that people are aware of, but for those that aren't, you know, maybe you could kind of tell me what your what your role is today, and then we get a little bit into how you got into that role. Great. Um, yeah. So I, I do do want to be a little bit more visible, uh, particularly with our partner community. Uh, couldn't couldn't make it where we're at today without the partners. Um, You're hard to miss being like seven feet tall with red hair. <laughs> <laughs> Six foot five, seven foot with the red afro, Steve. Yeah, there you um, go. You're hard to miss. Yeah. Uh, my name is Hayden Stafford, um, and I'm the corporate vice president of sales for our business applications team. So think of me as one of the three legs on the stool in terms of uh, product, engineering, marketing, and sales. Um, and I have the sales side together with Alyssa Taylor and, and James Phillips. Um, and I've, I've been in this role, Steve, for... Uh, about a year and a half, um, but I've been in the Dynamics business, in Dynamics sales for just just celebrated my five-year anniversary, as a matter of fact, back in early May. Congrats. Thank you. So what or, was your journey or, or, to moving up to? Either congrats or uh, your apologies, <laughs> either one, right? <laughs> no, I, I think you've got a pretty enviable role right now, and, and it's got to be really, really fun with the stuff that's going on. But prior to this this particular role, which, you know, like top dog on the sales stack, how did you, how did you, what were you doing before? What got you to this role? Well, it's it's kind of a serendipitous story of how I got here, Steve. I was actually at Salesforce. So um, very much on the kind of the front office CRM sort of stuff uh, before I came here and I was recruited in and I was a little hesitant given the position that Salesforce had had and how Microsoft was stacking up in the competitive uh, ranks and I, I was not convinced and I'll tell you I had an opportunity to meet with our senior executives and um, you know Satya was brand new and he talked about the investments that we were going to be making and what the vision was to be for dynamics. I mean, hell, he used to run this business yep. um, and I was sold. I was sold on where where it was going. So that was back in 2014. And uh, I came in to run the enterprise business. Um, so I worked for Neil Holloway at the time. Neil Holloway. Yeah. And I came in with a guy named Victor Morales, kind of right around the same time. And um, we kind of we're breaking apart John Kennedy. Remember John Kennedy? Yeah. Um, was it John Kennedy? That wasn't John Kennedy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, it, it was mo moving it from just an all-up sales role to enterprise sales and partner sales, and that's where I came in, Steve, and was, did that was it for Doug, Doug Kennedy. Doug Kennedy. That's yeah. it. John Kennedy was our president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Similar. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I remember uh, uh, Holloway uh, two, three years ago at one of the one of the uh, Inspire events, I think, when it was still called WPC, 
I went uh, with him into a room that they had packed with Salesforce partners. And there was, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them in this one side room. And uh, we were Salesforce partners for like 10 years before we moved over to Dynamics, which we did in 2011 when they launched CRM online. Okay. So uh, he thought we'd be the, you know, I'd be the perfect guy to get up and talk to all these other guys about, hey, you know, come on over here. The water's fine. I don't, I don't know how successful we were in the recruit motion. I never got the results of the effort, but uh, <laughs> we certainly gave it the college try. So I, I, I came from kind of the same place you did, it sounds like, you know, the Salesforce yeah. camp and had to make kind of the same kind of kind of thought that, you know, Salesforce you now is the market leader by far. And, you know, Dynamics at that point had just launched their cloud product. And we, we had to kind of go through that. You know, for us, it was a little a little easier decision because we, you know, we were a small fish in a big pond over there at Salesforce. And right. when Microsoft first launched Dynamics uh, uh, CRM online, you know, I kind of looked over the fence and uh, the first thing that I noticed was nobody selling it because yeah. their yeah. whole channel was on-premise partners. So I just we just saw an opportunity to you know suddenly become a big fish um, in what was then a small pond. And uh, it was—it's been a good ride for us. I, I well, never looked you, back. You—you—you you, you had first mover advantage there, Steve. Um, never, never I, and a lot back. of partners have made that move since. In fact, one of one of my favorite partners to talk about that made that move were the guys that did Cloud Sherpas, yep. um, and are now Barhead. You know, they—they they had built two solid businesses on their Salesforce relationship, sold them, made made a good chunk of money. Could have done a third, but they saw the opportunity here, and now their business is growing significantly. And and there's many, many more partners like that. Um, I think you, what you did was you just kind of dipped your toe in the water a little bit before everyone else caught the wind of a business that was growing, you know, triple digits. And uh, here we are today. And to your point, Steve, an interesting data point for you and, and the listeners is um, – about five years ago when I came over, we were 80% mid-market SMB uh, in terms of revenue, 20% enterprise, and just nominal cloud. Uh, it was it was double-digit millions. It was quite small. Um, and here we are five years later, and we're about 65 to 70% enterprise and roughly 30% mid-market uh, SMB. And I, I think we, we over-indexed a little bit, and it's time to get more parity. And go back to our roots, which is is that strong mid market base, which is where a lot of our partners are our strongest. And so you'll see as we as we build our models up for next year, and as we've been doing this year, putting more and more focus on what we now call SMC. Uh, just again, because the product is there, and so many of our solid partners are in that space, and we want to amplify it and bring more parity between our segment performance. I know a lot of partners are going to be happy to hear that because I, I know a lot of the partners in that SMC, SMB space kind of felt like they got a little abandoned for a while as we, you know, kind of turned the engine towards enterprise. Yeah. And, yep. uh, yeah, they're definitely going to be happy to hear that. And, and a little of that can be placed on me, um, literally, uh, figuratively and literally, uh, because I, I had the mindset, first of all, coming from Salesforce, which was on a big enterprise push, that if you can't get the HSBCs, you can't get the HPs, you can't get the American Airlines, the smaller folks may not you know, believe that they can trust their business on you, particularly when you're talking about the full stack, right? Uh, sales, service, uh, finance, operations, all the way through. And I've, it, you know, we felt if you can get these big logos, you bring more credibility to the mid-market. And the problem is for about two or three years, that's where we focused. And we're, we're, we're bringing back, obviously, with our business central solutions and our pricing for the mid-market and SMB, our goal is to come back and bring a lot more strength to that space. In fact, you'll be seeing in FY20 significant investment from us, significant uh, in our go-to-market uh, investments in the SMC space and positioning and compensation with these folks uh, and incentives for our partners for SMC and SMB coverage. So we're putting kind of our money where our mouth is. Yeah, I'd say our, our favorite customer size is probably that mid-market customer. You know, that's this, small businesses are fun, but it's hard to grow a, a you know, practice on small businesses because they're, they're pretty small. And the enterprise, you know, you've got enterprise cart partners up there and lots of, you know, bureaucracy and red tape sometimes to get into those deals. Yep. That that middle market is where, 
you know, they're they're really struggling. They, they've they've reached a point where they've got they've got revenue and they've got budget to solve problems. They probably grew up from something else, and that's the customer you walk into, and they've got you know 20 different point solutions spread all over the organization, uh, and they all reach that, that particular point where they just you know throw their hands up and say, "I got enough. We got to get on a platform." And I need help, right? I'm not yep. going to tell you how to do it necessarily, but I need help. Far more receptive to ideas. Um, you know, they want you to go on the journey with them. I'm not not saying that the enterprise customers don't want the help, but you just find it being um, a lot quicker uh, and a little bit less painful uh, when they're doing a, a significant project. I agree with you, Steve. It's it's a great area. I have the most fun in those uh, in those opportunities and working with our partners in those. And delivery seems to go a little bit more quickly as well. Well, I think you know the breadth of the platform today, you know, versus where it was just when you came on here uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it just exploded in every direction. And I think the the biggest advantage that it's really given us from a sales standpoint is we no longer have like one or two big products to sell. All right. We got a, we got a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, and we've got uh, and ne- not everything requires a partner or developer to use. So we got lots of citizen developer capabilities. There's there's a lot of different ways to get into those companies and give them something. Um, whereas before, you know, we pretty much had it was all or nothing. You know, if you're not going to take out Salesforce, then call us when you're ready to. You know, exactly. And there's I think there's really two pieces there, Steve that I know James and I are are really excited about. First of all, as you said, if they've got Oracle or SAP or Salesforce in there, there's so many other angles. You know, there's no longer the excuse of, well, they got SAP, Oracle or Salesforce, therefore we don't need you. There's so many other entry points, but also there's entry points and uh, there's opportunity to not only sell the solution, whatever that solution is, that's your entry point, but there's so much you can bolt onto that from a value standpoint, a value for upcharging and upselling uh, because of the outcomes that the customer is going to be able to get versus just a single thing. I mean, think of just all the inherent out-of-the-box AI capabilities, the extendability with Power Apps, uh, Power BI, and Microsoft Flow and what that does. So for Microsoft, it's great, and our partners, because there's there's a good revenue upside, but for our, for our customers, they can bring so much more value out of the box than what we were able to provide before. So I, I see it as a win-win opportunity for, for everyone, the customer, our partners, and for Microsoft. Yeah, I, th- I think Flow is the equivalent of business applications crack. I mean, people, <laughs> <laughs> people get hooked on that, and, and it's about the easiest thing for them to engage with uh, customers. They can, you know, any, anybody at any customer can Absolutely. go start playing around with that, get almost immediate value um and, and it's just become such an easy entry point for those customers to come in and solve problems it, you know that it, it, it together with the whole power platform steve yep. and i'm not saying this as the you know the cheerleader sales guy here it is the most exciting thing that i i have seen happen to our suite of solutions since i've been here because there's so much support for it you know sati refers to it as our fourth cloud um, and it is so much of an a, a sweetener, an additive, a, a value add, not just for Dynamics, but for Office, for Teams, for Azure. Um, it really brings a lot to all of Microsoft. And it's you'll uh, you'll see in FY20, again, we've recognized that and we're putting a lot of accountability into people outside of Dynamics to, to, to learn about the Power Platform and to sell it and accountability to sell because it's so um and multifaceted and it's growing so much exponentially growing right now you know so so as the guy who is probably measured on uh selling big solutions to big enterprise for a while uh when this when this debate was going on about potentially opening up the platform and uh and, and having other people suddenly involved in the mix uh, different isvs different things uh, clearly, you've come around now to where you're, you know, all gung ho, rah rah. But is it, were you that that way all along, or was there a point in the process where you're like, ooh, that's going to muddy the water? Um, from the standpoint of engagement with our ISVs and partners, or the rest of Microsoft's engagement? Kind of the or way, I, I, you know, when they released the Power Apps P2 license in particular, and I know we're yep. still early days on that, but that 
that opened up the potential for customers to look at alternatives yeah. to the to the first party apps. Yeah. Which yeah. you know is a big part of what your your team is charged with moving is those those big first party apps. And was there a point in that process where you were thinking, huh, no, I wonder how this no is gonna question. go? No question, Steve. Um my my biggest fear is that it cannibalizes those first party apps. That sure. and, and we've got instances globally. I could I could rattle off names, but I'll, I will choose not to on this forum. Um, but we've got we've got organizations around the world that have built field service solutions on yeah. power apps um, that have built you know CRM solutions on power apps. So it scared the hell out of me. Um, but I think we've learned a lot from those mistakes. And I, coming from Salesforce, I know what the force.com platform did for them firsthand. I saw it as a great seed and grow, land and expand opportunity. And for us, I think it's nothing but sweetness for us. Um, As long as we have the governance and control together with our partners and our customers to manage proliferation and manage the intent of what we're doing with, with the power platform and not using it to usurp the other stuff that we're building because that's just a dead end street for the customer and for us you know the upgrade path the innovation isn't going to be there it's a very myopic point of view of solving a problem here and now and building an alternative solution with power apps for instance then moving with the first party app and using power apps and flow then to extend from there yeah that, i mean that's been our motion with that rapid start solution was let's let's see that customer who wasn't ready to take on the the cost of a partner or the the change management or just just you know these these first party apps are big and you got to be you got to be ready um, yeah. and not all of them were and let's let's seed that customer with something simpler with the whole idea that they're again going to like what they see and then move up to those first party apps I think it's I think what the ISV opportunity on platform has potentially created is is a uh, maybe a check and balance on the first party uh, PMs to make sure that hey you are you are state of the art, yeah. Uh, and and but not to the point where you're like you know an aspirational uh, solution that people should look at, but th- that there's real value there for a customer to to move up to. And I think yes. I think we're there now. Um, I, I think we're there now, Steve. Um, yeah. And I I will tell you I I have seen a renaissance within Microsoft with our broader, not just the Dynamics teams, but the account teams, the Azure teams. I've seen a renaissance in people's awareness of Dynamics first party apps as a result of being exposed to Power Apps, Power BI and Microsoft Flow, right? It's easy to get your arms around the Power Suite. And then once you dig in a little bit, it's just a natural extension to think, "Uh aha, I can do more with this as an adjunct solution to the first party apps. So I have, um, I've, I've seen it as a, as a great narrative uh, conversation starter with our own people as well as our customers. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're looking at, I don't think we've yet seen, and we're early days on power apps, and I mentioned this to Jeff, that ISV who has put his hand on his hips and said, you know what, I think I can build a better enterprise sales application and really try to go head to head with the enterprise, I mean that's a that's an enormous investment to, for someone to make. It'd be pretty bold. So what what we're seeing is people building more of niche solutions, simpler solutions, very targeted solutions. And where we've seen success is where you go into an organization that's got Salesforce, you know, fully deployed, uh, no interest in moving. Yeah, we've seen we've seen this with some of your your sales teams, particularly in healthcare. Uh, and if, if all you have is, you know, the big first party apps and, and they've got Salesforce, well, you really have nothing to sell them that they're not going to move. But to be able to kind of circle back around to that same customer and say, hey, uh, show me one of your departments that's not in Salesforce that's doing stuff on spreadsheets. And, yeah. and, and that kind of emotion to come in and just lift them off spreadsheets onto an app. Uh, hopefully, you know, somebody else walks by, sees that, and suddenly there's another department and another department. And before you know it, you get this like necklace all the way around Salesforce <laughs> of, of power apps. Yeah. And, I, I and that, that are even able to work with Salesforce. It, it would be, it'd be fascinating for us to do this podcast again in a year from now. Do, do I think ISVs will build enterprise class first party apps off power apps? The answer is absolutely. And I think it happens in the coming year. Already, 
There are several ISVs out there. I'll, I'll refrain from using specific names, but there are several that are, are, are building, building stuff that they are orienting their entire company around and going to market with a finished app built on the Power Platform. And ideally for us, that's clearly where we want to go. Um, we want our ISVs to be able to do that because that creates such a great sticky um, you know, environment for your data, for your customer's data to engage on that platform, to engage within the office suite, to use Teams, to use Dynamics, and have all that inherent goodness of the, you know, the advanced services, web services and intelligence services out of Azure. It sounds like me being an advertisement, but I, I, I see it happening. Um, you know, it's a, it's kind I'd of love to get feedback if you you see it or other partners are starting oh, yeah. to I, I think it's a, it's kind of a catch-22 because you've got, you've got uh, with Power Apps, we could actually get into a customer who was never going to buy anything. So it's it's net new. They weren't going to buy any enterprise apps, but now they're on the platform. They're, you know, they're buying their license every month for the for the platform. Right. But once it moves to the point to where they're actually um, cannibalizing first party apps, well, first party apps have significantly higher licensing and you know more margin in them. So it starts kind of chewing right into that margin. Right now, I think that. You know the first party teams have put in a few a few protection mechanisms and some sort of restrictions to try and you know prevent that just pure cannibalization but it will be interesting to see how that how that shakes out i know there's some some folks on the team i'm sure you're aware charles just wants to open up everything for everybody and but but then he's not he's not responsible for the enterprise sales p l so <laughs> <laughs> you get different different viewpoints in there depending on who you're talking to about sure. about that stuff and i and I think that we're early days, and as this ISV motion of custom-built applications for uh, industries and, and things like that evolves, you, like you say, you'll be able to look back at a year and say, you know what, that's a motion we need to stomp the gas pedal on even more, and let's yeah. remove any any restrictions from that motion at all. Uh, or, you know, that's doing perfectly fine, and we're doing perfectly fine with these first party. And there's going to always be a place for both. It's yep. about managing the um, the cannibalization and the co cohabitation of the two with one another. And a, a, our, a couple of our competitors have done that very well, um, yep. been, been able to manage the two together. And I think we are. I mean, Charles is just unbelievable. He is such an asset to this company, and he's got an amazing vision. He is a top-notch supporter of our sales org. I know he is with our partners. And you know, it's a great balance to James's holistic view of the Dynamics business application suite. James is not going to let that happen. You know, to the point where where Power Apps begins to cannibalize our business. He has got a unbelievable vision. I'll tell you right now. Um, it's going to sound like I'm I'm advertising, but the relationship that I have right now in sales with my engineering teams and our marketing teams under Alyssa are unlike any time prior in my career in sales, which I've been in most of my life, um, of having that connection. Usually there's some consternation, there's a little bit of com competing priorities. We don't have that. And I hope that's coming through to our partners and our customers, is they're seeing the connection between our product marketing teams, our product development teams, and our sales teams. I mean, hell, James, the blur now between James's team in our sales cycles and our salespeople, it's, it's so blurry uh, that I, I think customers wouldn't really know who's who, except for obviously the technical bend coming from the engineering teams. I mean, that and that, that is so rare out there among companies that, I mean, normally sales, marketing, and engineering are at each other's throats, uh, you know, because they're all stepping on each other's toes. and, and uh, Unequivocally their... not the case here, yeah. unequivocally. Yeah. I, do, I do hear that in your, in your business review, uh, meetings that you guys do have spirited debate. We did just last week, as a matter <laughs> of fact. Um, yeah. We do a monthly business review that we call an EBR, Executive Business Review. And um, they we, we just changed the uh, kind of the structure of it a little bit to foster uh, more of that um, constructive engagement with one another. And it's been really fruitful. And I'll say the one we had last week was, was spirited and um, my most enjoyable to date. Yeah, Jeff 
Jeff mentioned that you had said something about I can hardly wait for the next one. And I said, wait a minute, when has a sales guy ever wanted to go to a meeting? <laughs> so, so that's saying something for the productivity of those meetings. So, so, you're, so you're running, a, the team you're running is is mainly charged today, at least, with, with going into those those enterprise accounts. And uh, are you are you managing the the industry vertical approaches to that as well, or is there a segment that you work with, or what is what no. do you do during the day? So I mean, my 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 responsibility and what I'm measured on at the end of the year is the all up performance of our business application suite. So it's uh, all components of you know our first party apps and platform stuff now. Now more mixed reality uh, uh, elements, as well as all of the other innovation that it's coming out of James Zorg. So I am accountable for the full number. Um, back to the conversation we had towards the beginning, Steve. Um, traditionally, our headcount uh, was almost all enterprise. We had a little bit of mid-market back in the days when we were called SMSP, when we had that division SMSP. Um, but Mercury changed a little bit of that, and there was a heavy pivot to enterprise. Um, so the teams that I'm responsible for are largely those teams because there's just so few in the SMC space. Um, the industry angle needs to be more prevalent, needs to be. I think we're really clear on James's strategy of where the product development's going around in uh, industry or on horizontal, the, you know, 80% completion, the final 20 is yeah. where the, the vertical flavor comes from our partners. Um, but what I what I see our teams doing more and more, and it's happening very clearly around the world, is um, first a pivot with our sales teams around regulated industries, your health cares, your governments, your banking. Um, but you're going to start to see more and more of hiring and clustering around the regulated industries, plus some of the sweet spot industries that we have um, that just there's a lot of success in. And it's different between geographies. So I don't have that responsibility for industry, but if you're going to be successful in business applications, you've got to have an industry angle. And my black belt organization, so you've heard of the GBBs, like yep. Steve Rogers in Europe, Renee Nee in the Americas, and Dave Miller in Asia, their teams are going to take on more of a major and minor capability, majoring in an industry, minoring in a workload from a sales perspective. And from a technical pre-sales perspective, a major in the workload and a minor in the industry. To be successful, you have to have that. Do you do you still see from your chair the biggest competitor out there being uh, Salesforce? On CRM, no question. We yeah. are we are toe to toe on every deal. But I'll tell you, someone who's really come on. I mean, there's a, there's SAP and there's Oracle and. There's, you know, Zoho and others like that. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of Pega, a lot of Pega showing up, not just in banking, um, but in utilities, uh, telcos, seeing a lot of Pega. It is interesting. You know, sometimes you'll see these things on uh, LinkedIn where somebody did a, a, time, a little live uh, graph of something over the years and, and those little, little bars moving as people have moved up and down and, and you'll you'll see these these platforms kind of fall from you know fall from grace over the years, and then other ones kind of pop up out of nowhere. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to see one on what's happening in that space. You know, the CRM, particularly down in that SMC space, I think when you get up into enterprise, uh, their choices are limited. Um, yeah, you know, they, they've only got you know there's only a handful of vendors that really are able to provide what it is that they would even need. You drop down into that that mid-sized business, you know, that opens up significantly and you, you drop all the way down into the SM, you know, the small business and, you know, they got, they got a thousand options to choose from every little cloud, you know, CRM app on the world is out there. So, but you know what I'm finding Steve though, is a lot of the customers are, th those are great options that are maybe bespoke to a specific micro vertical or specific geography, but particularly in the mid market, um, and, and even in even in SMB, I mean, look at our heritage, right? Great Plains and Division NAV. Um, customers loved that solution because it was a it was a suite of capabilities. It was a packaged solution. And what I'm seeing is very few decisions made anymore around best of breed, and now more of a best of platform. And a lot of the companies are wanting to future proof and say, I expect my company to grow 
exponentially grow through the years. I want a company that I know is going to be there for me. It's not going to be a flash in the pan and a company that's coming in and out, but I want that suite. I want my stuff to work together. I want my data to be able to be leveraged in whatever for, for you know SaaS platform we use, SaaS application we're using. And therefore, those who can provide that platform, provide that connective tissue, and provide that long-term security of growth with them, I, you're seeing, I think, a major convergence starting to happen where it's a couple players and they're going to continue to get stronger and stronger. Like I'll give you an example. Um, I don't want to call out our comp competition, but five years ago, there were several competitors outside of Salesforce, SAP, and Oracle in the CRM space that we saw, lots of them. And now I don't see them at all anymore. I do see Pega quite a bit, but I don't see the others. And I think it's because of what I just talked about. I think, you know, one of the things, every customer that we're seeing today is coming in the door every uh, almost unanimously their issue is we've got like 20 different applications and we we've made the decision that we're going to pick a platform right it wasn't a mindset uh for the longest time you know when when cloud first came out the it was almost the opposite it was like how many different cloud apps can oh look i can solve this problem with that one and we can solve that problem with this one and and building these little house of cards of, of all these applications seem like the the preferred choice uh early on but now as all those things are kind of collapsing on each other and people are struggling to manage them and and the things not talking to each other i think once they started seeing other options of things that talk to each other and came to the realization that you know th this stuff can all talk to each other but not yeah. with what we've got i think that's really where we've seen that platform uh idea kind of land with the customers and you know when they're thinking platform, and they're thinking about yeah, I want to I, I want to minimize the number of vendors that I engage with. Uh, I think that's that's where we really at the moment have the biggest advantage: being able to come in there with your infrastructure, being able to come in there with your productivity, being able to come in there with your business applications, all that stuff talking together. And nobody else can really put all of those together today. And, and uh, we're definitely and you know seeing what customers I love that Microsoft for. finally has done. Um, They've given our partners a platform on which to develop and know that it's going to be plugged in to everything else. I mean, five years ago, if you went to anyone who's listening to this podcast and you ask them, what is my safe bet for a development platform? You know, going forward with Microsoft, you'd have probably gotten a half dozen different answers of just Microsoft technologies in which they could go develop. It is very clear. I mean, Satya has made it very clear that common data service that that, that platform layer that sits between our SaaS apps and our platform um, you know, solutions like on Azure, it's clear, it's one place. You, you develop there, you're gonna be in for the long haul with us. You know, it's, it's, it's crystal clear, and it seems like something that has been obvious forever. <laughs> the, the, nobody seems to have, you know, all of a sudden now we're looking at this power platform and we're looking at this common data service and everything that that common data service can connect to and share data with. And I think for years, customers just assumed that it's actually doing that somehow, didn't understand what you know, third-party integration meant and things like that. They just, they thought it was all one thing and it never was, nor is it from anyone else, but it's always been such an obvious idea. Uh, why, why did it seem to take like a decade longer for anybody to get to it than we did? I, I think it's, I, I mean, not one person does not make a company, but I think in this case it is. Yeah. I think it's Satya. He, this one Microsoft idea is not just hyperbole. I mean, it's real. It's it's real about the way we sell. Uh, it's the real about the way we work with one another, but it's the real in terms of the way we're bringing our technologies together. I mean, look, look at what Scott Guthrie has grown into over the last three years. It's very clear that he's forcing this hand of integrated technologies by the way in which we're organizing our team. So I, I think Steve, it has a lot to do with him. You know, I got to think that uh, you know guys like Satya that clearly saw you know this common data service as an obvious uh, answer to lots of problems. There's got to be guys like him at different levels in other organizations seeing the same thing, but they're not in a position to make it happen. Yeah, you know, they're they're not the they're not the CEO. They're they're somewhere and and, uh, 
and to get the guy into the CEO chair that had that vision at the time that we did, um, you know, it's it's just been pretty amazing. Uh, the stuff really that's changed. Has. I'm honored. I really am honored to work for him, uh, and I relish the opportunity to meet with him. And I I do now in this role, uh, I get at least monthly, if not several times a month, a chance to to engage and listen, and it's humbling um, because it's it's leadership through inspiration. And not to say about how our previous leaders at Microsoft led, because I wasn't here, but I think it's very different. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, they led poorly, <laughs> at least from the, <laughs> at least from my standpoint. I, I, and that was for us really up and down the stack. I mean, uh, uh, I never was a big fan of the way Balmer ran the business, uh, but it, he, it was his business to run at the time. Um, I think when Satya. It kind of came in as a dark horse and, and got that run. I mean, I remember they were talking about the some guy that worked the former CEO of Ford Motor Company, Ford, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, some other different folks. And I'm thinking, oh, well, it's just going to be more of the same. More of the and same. When, and when they actually tapped Satya, I, I, I did like a double take on that thing. And, I, it, you know, I knew he came from the dynamic side. So, of course, I was pretty excited that somebody in there was going to care. And clearly he has brought it up to be like the third leg of the stool, which was never going to happen. No, uh, with the old regime, and I think also another a huge change for uh, at least the business application side was James Phillips taking over from the bumbling boobs that preceded him. <laughs> and, and, and I can say that maybe you can't, but I, I can. I can definitely. No, no say comment, that. Steve. No comment. But I, so, I do think James is. Uh, he is. He's really something else. He's. He's. He's brought a lot of goodness to this business. A lot of clarity. And, you know, a lot of the stuff we said on this journey, CDS, we were way ahead of ourselves two years ago when that came out. And and James inherited a lot of this. Um, and it's it's a journey. Like everything, it's a journey. But we're it's becoming a reality. It's becoming very quickly becoming a rea- reality. And it's largely due to his leadership. And it's great. He's got the relationship he does with Guthrie and Satya. Uh, I mean, Scott, while he's Mr. Azure, um, he's very much Mr. Dynamics as well. Yeah, I remember when James took over, shortly after he took over, thinking that, okay, he, he's just going to simplify this thing and get 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 these things uh, uh, working, fix, fix the buggy issues with the product, stop running around making silly acquisitions that don't make sense and, and wasting time on those. He's really going to narrow this thing down. And then proceeded to do the opposite, uh, blew the thing wide open, went a hundred different directions at once, but somehow actually was able to manage that. Absolutely. Um, which I, mean, look, I, I didn't think it could be. A piece of innovation coming from him. But at the same time, the maniacal focus I don't know if your listeners know what Project Bedrock is. That's our internal nomenclature for getting our platform stable and on one, one platform, uh, one version of truth, if you will. To, to, to carry those in parallel to one another, right? Innovation, development, more stuff, but at the same time, deliver a stable, modern SaaS application platform. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. So you're, you're focused on, well, you're, you're, you mentioned that you're going to be focusing your team and the efforts more on that SMC space. How do you, how do you see that that manifested. We're certainly not going to take, you know, enterprise SSPs and start calling on small companies. That's not going to make much sense. I wouldn't think. Um, so what? How will that motion? Or or will we? Are we bring in another tier of people to try and help push that that side? Well, um, a couple things. Uh, to be successful, and I'm not saying this because I'm on your podcast here, um, but to be successful in that space, you've got to have a robust partner network that has somebody within Microsoft to co-sell with. There's there's plenty of deals that can happen without a Microsoft badged person helping and our pipeline and our results show that. But as you're getting into more mission critical solutions, whether it's you know shop floor stuff on your ERP side or running someone's GL or or you know someone's patient care system. They want to know Microsoft is in bed with them, um, and we we've we've lacked that that skill and that capability internally to partner up with the our partners to go sell these mission critical applications. Um, so 
the bulk of our people have been working with our partners on the enterprise side. We are going to invest significantly. When I say significantly, I mean that with a capital S in FY20 to put the resources in uh, to the SMC space globally. All of our major markets are going to get a big shot in the arm versus just a couple people here and there. It will be a robust sales organization. But the other leg to that stool is having dedication to the roles uh, that support our partners. We made a move a couple of years ago of, you know, one Microsoft business cloud. We should have one person working with uh, a set of partners that that works across Azure Office and Dynamics. And the recognition is no, you need to get deeply specialized with your partners. And those Dynamics partners, be it CRM or ERP, need to have someone that they're dedicated, is dedicated to them and that they've got someone to go work with that's dedicated in the field and they know who to work with. So those two elements have to happen in concert to be successful in the mid-market. Um, and you've got to have the incentives for our partners. And we'll be we'll be rolling out some pretty exciting in incentives for our ISVs, for our SIs, for our indirect partners, um, significant investments in FY20. Uh, to support that motion. And then lastly, a commitment to skilling. Um, we're seeing, you know, in many markets, 60, 80, 100% growth, we're outstripping the capacity uh, of our partners. We don't need capacity of more partners. We need more capacity in those partners that we have to go, to go and deliver. Um, so I think some of the readiness plans that we're gonna be announcing at Inspire and at Ready, um, is and some of the some of the investments that we're making to skill up our university students, whether they're juniors or seniors, if you will, to get that capacity into our partners. We cannot make it just our partners' responsibility to get those people. Microsoft has to help them. So that's how I think we're going to do it, Steve. It's adding headcount to the field. It's adding dedicated roles into our partner teams and having very clear lines between SMB. SMC and uh, an enterprise of people to work with because we blended it and blurred it over the last few years. And we're very clear that specialization and density yields high level of results. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you, you touched on one of the biggest challenges that we've had ever since really uh, that we started moving to cloud. And this, I mean, this, I've had this conversation with Gabriella several times over the years going all the way back is that the innovation is outpacing not just the, the customer demand, but the, just the innovation is outpacing the partner's abilities to keep up and and still have their head down and do the work they have in front of them. And uh, the, the readiness is, has been an, a continuous challenge where um, we've got more customers asking for the new things and expecting the latest you know, UIs, the latest technologies, and not enough partners that are up to speed to deliver that. Uh, lots of partners that could deliver the old stuff and can, you know, uh, uh, fumble around, but not enough, not enough partner capability um, to deliver those new things. Yeah, I, I've got a, I've got a, a deal that's literally happening today. Um, I mean, it's my email box is full with this customer. It's in Europe, and it's with a partner that is a very big and very trusted partner. And we we have absolutely eclipsed the level of skill within that partner and even within our team based on the vision that the company and the industry has set and that therefore the customer has created for their business versus the capability of the people to go and deliver it. So the the you know the expectation expectation level is being set at one level um, and the ability to deliver it is at another level and it's incumbent upon all of us, Steve, yourself, myself, Gabriella's team, and many others to kind of narrow that gap between vision and reality. Yeah, that's 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 independent of partner size. I mean, the, the totally big, the big GSIs are struggling. The smallest partners are struggling. It's, it's the one really I was cool. talking about there in Europe is a GSI. Yeah, it yep. definitely is. It definitely is a it's a new muscle for partners that uh, before, frankly, before James came in, you could pop your head up every, you know, year uh, and, and and stick your nose in the air and be current uh, pretty quickly. But since, since James took over the org, I mean, things are happening weekly, if not more often than that. Things that are affecting everything you've ever known how to do in business applications are being changed. Um, 
and I see, I, I still see it every day, and I, I bring it up often in my podcast. The frustration that, you know, there are customers today that are hiring a partner today, who's going to try and build them something that is five years old on today's platform uh, with yeah. five five year old five year old uh, uh, skill set, and the customer won't know the difference, and. Uh, the problem will be that w- when they don't have this awesome experience they're hearing about from Microsoft because that partner didn't skill up and didn't know how to give it to them, they're going to blame the platform. Yep, absolutely. And, 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 and that's just such a such a frustration. Um, well, it, it pains me, Steve, to see partners struggle um, because uh, I, I know I think partially we're not doing enough from readiness enablements. Uh, James has done a really good job on early release notes and lots of access to his team. But some of our partners, if you look just five years ago, the partner base, their, how they ran their business financially, right, from a P&L standpoint, to the way in which they move through delivery, um, waterfall versus agile as an example, it's a different world. And some of our partners are still in the old world and making great money, um, but that transition is never comfortable for anyone, whether it's you're an individual or a company transition, fast transition where you're forced to move at this pace that the big juggernaut Microsoft's moving. It, I, it it pains me to see that, and I see it every day, whether it's in the United States, Australia, Germany, it's everywhere. Well, you're talking about a juggernaut that used to move a hell of a lot slower <laughs> <laughs> for for decades, and uh, yep. so the the pace is just is. And I don't think that they that they don't want to be uh, current. They oh no 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 I wasn't implying that. Sorry. Yeah, I th- no no I, no I think that I, and I look at you know I'm a, I'm I'm an MVP. So there's what I don't know, a couple of hundred of us, and we've got we've got access to quite a bit of information that we are all still absorbing. Uh, and, and I'm on a pack, which is even a smaller group. But there's stuff there that that we're all absorbing, and I think about the people that are that are not in either of those things that are just you know the broad partner community and think. If we if we're still figuring this out with all this you know insight, how 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 do they stand a chance to? Oh, totally. I look at I look at some of our inner circle partners and pack partners who who give feedback about how hard it is. I I shudder to think. Yeah. This is not a Microsoft partner statement. I think it's anybody partner statement. What it's like for that small partner that doesn't have the easy big red button, right? Uh, to to get in touch with with the corp guys. Yeah, and I mean that's that's nonprofit generating activity, uh, training, right. training and learning, and that's the hardest thing I think for partners that are, you know, that are just actively head down, you know, working on making their money and making their numbers. To okay, so let's stop for a while and go go learn the new stuff and watch that meter stop turning. It's a hard motion. It's a hard. Well, if motion. there's if there's any ideas on what we can do to help, you know, I I invite anyone who listens to this podcast to directly engage with us and give us that feedback about what we can do to make that transition easier. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put your cell phone number in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> because no, I we think want it to work, Steve. I mean, it, it, I, we know, but the point that I'm making here, obviously, is that I, I know the pain is there. I know the, the tension is there, but it's healthy tension uh, that you wouldn't be feeling if we weren't a growing, innovating business. If you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. We know we're we're the growing pains, and you know I hear, I also hear partners that are actually on the track of the growth, saying when when is this going to level out and I can take a breath, and yeah, you know, it's just not going to level out. That those <laughs> days are gone. You know that's yeah. that's a, that's how it used to be, but this pace of 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 evolution is I don't I don't see why it would ever decelerate. No, no. So, I mean, consumerization of enterprise technology is 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 happening and it's only gonna get faster i mean think about the consumer changes just talking with my wife the other night i lived overseas from 1997 to 2000 uh and we didn't really have internet it was just starting it was just just starting we didn't have uh you know cell phones and whatnot they were just starting little bricks back then that rapid pace of consumer-based innovation is now coming to the enterprise it's just now coming, whether it's ease of use, uh, whether it's the agility of devices and how how applications are driving, uh, you know, end user sentiment and engagement. 
it's it's fa it's fascinating to watch the convergence of consumer-based technology innovation with enterprise innovation. Yeah, some of that is generations too, right? We've got oh. we, the next generation moving into decision-making roles. It's in the process of happening now. We're we're brought up, you know, with a cell phone in their hand. Yeah, uh, the technology is not foreign. Uh, they're not intimidated by it, like maybe my generation was, um, and their expectation level is a lot higher. I mean, I look at, I look at some of the things they're doing over there in Power Apps, and, and you know, some some of the new stuff with the Power Apps component framework, uh, which is a new capability recently uh, released for partners to build components, and you know, some of these guys are building a, you know, a little component that you know. Has a little Frost, thing flat. frosting on the cake, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. They're, they're, but they're building a little component that does, you know, something just a little thing goes back and forth, and they're all amazed, and all of us partners are amazed because it, it all seems new. But, you know, then these kids are looking at it saying, oh, big deal. Well, I want to let you get back to your work here shortly. But uh, one of the questions that I like to ask everybody is, uh, you know, from your perspective, looking across the portfolio of products, of which there are a lot right now into the business applications tent. Yep. Uh, which is the one that you think, or that you know, you come out of these meetings thinking, darn, that, that customer just didn't really get the value of that, but that is huge. And for the, for some reason or another, customers are, what's the miss that customers aren't really understanding and digging in deep enough? Oh, that's a good question, Steve. That's a really good question. Um, tell you one of the areas where I have the most fun uh, most enjoyment is our field service solutions uh, because you're you're really talking in many of those instances of transforming something from utterly manual uh, and archaic to very modern and it really transcends uh, office Azure Azure IoT and dynamics um, that's an area I, I very much enjoy I, I think Think, that one's, you know blow, that one's blowing up though right now. I don't know the customers are missing that. They're definitely concerned no, 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 no. the hell that's, out of that one. Yeah. It's, it's blowing up. It's a great segment for us and it's it's doing very well. I think it's it's modern relationship sales. I think people generally look at CRM um, and the, the convergence of CRM and um, LinkedIn Sales Navigator as just, you know, smashing together a couple tools. But I think what customers are missing is the underlying element of intelligent sales, um, intelligent relationship sales, and what we're doing with the convergence of you know, sentiment analysis through your collaboration space in, in modern workplace, um, email engagement and integration together with the LinkedIn integration and all those social connections and social insights together with core CRM. I think a lot of people are are glazing over the fact that there is enormous value and that you know productivity enhancements productivity savings does not necessarily equal to more time on the golf course or more time to go home and spend with your kids it can drive actual top line benefit pipeline acceleration conversion rates at a higher rate steve i think that's where i think there's a degree of fatigue and boredom and where i'm, I'm having a harder time convincing customers that there's something really hot here yeah, like they need to take another look at what they thought they understood. Yes, because it's, it's different than what they they thought they thought it was. And yep. I, I'm obviously part of that was getting away from the CRM term. I think because you know CRM had kind of gotten itself in a box, good or bad. And you know you want people. This stuff's too much different than it was at that time to have people just throw it in a box without giving it another look. Totally. Of what other problems it can do. I think the other the other interesting thing we're going to see, which this is definitely going to be the year of, has already started, is the citizen developer. You know, we're a, a customer working with a partner is only going to get as sophisticated a solution or uh, ultimately to their needs as that partner is able to deliver. And we've already talked about challenges in some of the partners not being up to speed enough to deliver the latest. And so what we're seeing is this innovation is actually coming out of the customer. Um, you know, the Heathrow story, and there's, I mean, we've got similar stories on a much smaller scale of just that, that techie guy uh, or gal at the customer that, uh, you know, that kind of discovered the citizen developer capabilities of flow, power apps and stuff, and are really just making some pretty amazing stuff I think I think they have the advantage of not being encumbered with all of the 
uh, old knowledge, maybe that, yeah. uh, that a, lot, a lot of us have, that caused us to look at everything this, this similar way. Uh, I, I've been pretty amazed at what's been happening. Well, watch that. this space. Um, last Friday, I was in Redmond, and I was in the SLT with Satya and his Drex, and it was where we would review the state of the business. And I made a commitment, a bold statement about the strength of this space. I will tell you, I was in Australia and New Zealand about three weeks ago, and I did 22 customer meetings, all but one of them. So 21 had a very heavy Power Apps, Microsoft Flow, and Power BI angle. And I think that this citizen development piece is going to absolutely take off. Make sure my boss isn't listening here on this call, <laughs> but I think that our budget is, is too low um, because of exactly what you said, those guys and gals in the back office or even in the front office who can see a better way. I, one of them was they wanted to improve their time sheeting process. Boom, that day we had a prototype built. Uh, I mean, nobody knows the problem better than the person who's experiencing it. And That's there's right. always something lost in the translation when you try and explain it to a partner and you go through a couple of iterations to get there. And up until now, that was all the only option they had. But now they can just say, here, just give me that steering wheel. And I know what I need, uh, and, and I've got the tools to to just do this myself. And I think that what it's creating is the opportunity for a lot of new customers that never would have engaged a partner to solve that problem or bought a business application to solve that problem. But because they can solve some of these problems themselves, it, it's creating a whole new customer base. And, and once these applications get mission critical, grow into some important, you know, then then there's an opportunity for, you know, let's come in and lay some some governance on top of that, or let's come okay. in and, and lay some more automation on that. But I think we're going to see a lot of applications, sophisticated, very sophisticated applications built in the future that started as a power app built by somebody at the company. Back to the conversation we were having about ISVs building a, a future enterprise class first party app based on power apps. I see it happening. I see yep. it happening. And you know, it's not just the business application play though. I think that's where the power platform really sits in terms of being featured and really um, adding a multiplier effect to value. One of the reasons why we're making a significant investment in modern workplace with power apps um, and, and the power platform is because of what it can do to extend Office and our um, modern workplace suite together with our applications, our, our, our first party apps. So you're gonna start to see next year, the convergence of Microsoft field sellers um, and field CSU folks that are gonna be as competent on Power Apps as they are on Azure or Office. It's, it's happening. Yeah, that, that, that common data service is just going to seep underneath of everything eventually. Amen. Yeah, we're, we're already seeing so. you know, the brand new products that we're, we traditionally would have expected to be coming out of the the office side, like Forms Pro, uh, now being built natively on CDS, and so we're we're starting to see that that movement right now, and and uh, that's it's exciting to see. So, what what events are you going to be coming up to? You're going to be in Atlanta, I'm sure, right? I will be in Atlanta. Uh, yep, at the um, Business Application Summit. Um, Looking forward to that. In fact, just earlier today, right before you called me, uh, I was reviewing um, some of the partner and customer meetings that I'm having. Um, I plan to attend the oil and gas. There's an oil and gas event. I think it's on the 26th, some 24th uh, of June down in Houston. That is a space that is just on fire for us with um, power apps and connected field service. So I'm going to be attending that event. Yeah, and then, yeah. of course, in July, we're right into Inspire and Ready. Um, so it's going to, the new fiscal year is going to be right around the corner. And I'll tell you, Steve, I'm so looking forward to announcing this is the year of dynamics. It truly is in terms of the investments we're going to announce, what we're doing with the ISV program, um, the co-selling program we're announcing, uh, some of the incentives we're putting in the market. It's unlike anything. And I'm not trying to build up, you know, hype. But no, it's I, unlike anything we've announced in the last five years. I think I think that's a message that we've heard before, but never more than now do I really feel that uh, that that's going to happen. Uh, well, there's, there's, uh, from from all the different pieces and parts and folks I'm talking to, too too many uh, too many common uh, stories 
to have them all not be true. You know, so <laughs> so we're all we're all quite excited about that. Is there anything else you wanted to cover off? I, th- I think that just the last thing is um, thank you uh, to all the partners that have, have been with us through thick and thin and have built their businesses on us. Um, I know there was a period three, four years ago when I was frequently fielding questions from customers and partners. Is Microsoft really into this business? Is Microsoft going to divest? And, you know, uh, when you own a business and you're building a business on the back of something where there's questions like that, that's never fun. But I, I can tell you, and I know you all know this, you've, you've heard it enough, but the amount of relevance that I see, I mean, just, you know, three weeks ago, James Liss and I spent almost four hours with members of the board of directors and the SLT reviewing our go-to-market strategy for next year. That didn't happen three no. years ago. Board members, Bill Gates is not asking you questions about your licensing models. Um, because it was, you know, not as relevant. And you all need to know that this business is in a, a, a sense of footing and positioning in this company that it has never been in before. It's gotten stronger and stronger over the last three years, but this year and going into next year, we're setting ourselves up for a very, very good thing for all of you and for our customers. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. All right, cool, man. I'm gonna let you get back to work. And I'll look forward to seeing you in uh, in Atlanta. You can buy me a beer. I will buy you a beer. And uh, I'm going to have to um, pass you off to one of my colleagues who I canceled this one-hour segment for because of your phone call. I'll make oh. sure that uh, that you buy her a beer then as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. This, this is my whole plan. I get everybody on these calls, and then I ultimately try and get a beer out of it. So, uh, so, when I get to, so when I get to Atlanta, I'll just have a whole bunch of beers all lined up for me. So There you go. <laughs> All right, cool, Abe. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Oh, wait. I just thought of one more question. Hello? Hello? Damn.